Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. A, a manager of mine, somebody who was kind of in charge of me, you know, we, we jumped on a plane, headed to North Carolina. He dropped me off at a, uh, like a Fortune 500 company that, you know, we were at a, a mill where they made towels and whatnot. And he hands me a file box because this is, it dates me a little bit, but um, this is kind of like before you would hand someone an Evernote file, but it hands me a file box with 285 employee profiles and said, I'll be back in a week, fire half of them. And I remember thinking, this is so messed up. Welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Josh Hunter. Josh, who do we have with us today? Yo. We got Kevin Peck. He's a lead pastor, Lost in Stone Church, and co-author of Design to Lead, which, Kevin, I've had it for over a year, and I have not read it yet, but I'm so looking but forward to it. But he said he's it. starting it right after this. Literally, I'll walk out of the room and start reading it, at least the first couple words. But, man, we're excited to have you on today, Kevin. <laughs> Where are you at today? How are you doing? Man, I'm good. I'm down in Austin. It's already about 643 degrees. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just the front end of spring, it'll get hotter. Uh, and, uh, just for the record, my wife has had that book for quite a bit longer amount of time and is still not read it either, <laughs> but I hear it, uh, I hear, I hear it serves well for leveling end tables. There you Looking go. Hey, it, the was, it was it assigned does, reading does. for one of my seminary classes <laughs> and it was awesome. Fantastic. That is fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, um, man doing great here. I'm really glad to be, be on with you guys today. That's great, man. You know, I did, a, I've done a lot of camp in Texas with a lot of your, a lot of your people, a lot of your friends and man, it is, it is so hot. In the it lives summer up to Texas. the hype of being oh, hot. So hot. Oh, yeah. Kevin, definitely welcome to the podcast. Excited to have yep. you on today. Um, to get started, can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years that kind of led to the Austin Stone? Yeah, sure, man. I, I think the start of my journey in kind of Christian leadership was actually in college when I, when I came to Christ, you know, most of my kind of younger life than either that, you know, I really didn't see myself much as a leader came from a pretty tough home. And in that space, really a lot of the, uh, a lot of the image of God that God has created me in is, it was just really honestly kind of suppressed. And there was more of a sense, not of kind of, uh, you know, divine, uh, image bearing, but really honestly more of just stay out of the way and, and, and minimize your footprint so you don't get in trouble. But when I came to Christ in college, um, there really was this unlocking of, of not just the fact that I was a leader, but that, that there was some leadership that was actually given to humanity to, uh, to kind of manifest on this planet. And I think part of that, just kind of hearing that as a human, even as early as college, that, that leadership was part of um, our living out the divine image, kind of uh, in some ways made me feel like, man, I need to step into this because it's not whether you're a leader, it's whether you're a good one or a bad one. Um, really kind of launched me into that. So my first step into it was honestly just applying for a, a leadership position of, an, of, a, of a Bible study for college freshmen. I was going into my sophomore year and I'd, I'd only been a Christian for about a year. And I just remember uh, uh, honestly just kind of sitting in front of the leaders that were doing the interviews and the application process. And, you know, they, they kind of commented, commented on the fact that I was a still fairly new believer. I was pretty hungry. So I'd learned a lot in a year in terms of education wise, but just the fact that they say, Hey, listen, we see the Holy spirit in you. And, and so we're going to take a chance on you if you'll be humble and be teachable and we think you can lead. And 
um, it really marked me early on in those days that people were going to take a risk on me. Um, and that, that was part of kind of the leadership task of developing leaders was taking a risk on young leaders. So that really kind of started to frame my, uh, my, my, my mind there in terms of what leadership even meant was not coming into it with perfection, but coming into it ready to stay humble and try to serve people through your leadership gifts. So started there oddly enough. Um, I just had, uh, I just had lunch with, uh, our, uh, one of our executive pastors who, that year led him to Christ in that Bible study. And so just cool. even wow. seeing some of those guys still with me. In fact, um, six of, you know, maybe the 50 folks that were in that Bible study um, 20 plus years ago are still with me today. And um, so even just kind of in my earliest days of leadership where, man, man, if you look back and took notes on my leadership skill or acumen, it was a train wreck. It was a dumpster <laughs> fire, but um, but really just seeing that God was faithful to use, um, a young knucklehead with, with some desire just to do something for Jesus. Um, so that was really, really cool. Kind of went from there, did, um, you know, some, some more college positions. Why I love college ministry so much still is there's just a chance to kind of sprout wings, led, led kind of a Christian fraternity through, uh, some, some, uh, leadership positions there and kind of got to get my feet wet more and leading and actually getting some feedback from people that wasn't always super helpful or mm. sometimes wasn't super encouraging. Um, but in the same way, actually getting to kind of try some of that stuff out. So I'm just a big fan of that, that college experience of telling people like, Hey, like lead often and fail just as much, but learn a little bit because leadership is tough. And so you might as well knock out some lessons early. Um, really moved on from there. Um, and went into the marketplace. I was doing, um, you know, it's, uh, management consulting work, working with uh, large complex companies and that were going through mergers and acquisitions. And really early on, again, someone just took a leap on me, took a chance on me and let me uh, lead for the very first time complex prob projects with, um, with high capacity leaders. It was one of the, one of those times where it was just obvious I wasn't the smartest guy in the room anymore. <laughs> um, I certainly wasn't the most knowledge, knowledgeable person in the room, which was probably always true, but it was, it was just kind of blatant in my face at that point. But it was really the first time where I actually had a project um, that we had to accomplish. So it was the first time leadership went from just forming and blessing individuals to forming and blessing individuals, yes, but accomplishing something. So that was really cool. So um, how, how old were you at that point, yeah. if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so um, these are the first like three or four years after college. So, yeah. you know, normal 35 to 38. How long did it take you to get out of college? I'm joking. <laughs> you know, right um, around there as well. A lot, lot, lot yeah, of people take normal, seven years Kevin. to graduate. Um, sorry. Um, not sure we're supposed to quote that movie, but um, uh, yeah, no, I was, you know, 21 to 25 at that time. And man, it was a tough spot, honestly. I'm sitting in marketplaces and, and the consulting gigs are really strange one because mm -hmm. you put a 20 year old in the room and, and they're supposed to tell 50 year olds how to do their jobs. Wow. Um, so it's really interesting. So you have to be like a chief learner. You have to listen deeply to the client because they usually have the answers. You have to understand context. And then you got to deploy a really, really highly um, intelligent team of people to, to attack problems by figuring out what the problems are together, figuring out a common solution and, and then getting after it. Was there a moment you stepped into a consulting role and you just wanted to kind of run away from it because it scared you? I mean, how did you handle that? That oh, seems man. super overwhelming. Man, do you guys pick up counseling fees on the back end of this? Because you're going to make me relive some memories. We can, we can pause this real quick and do it right now if you want. <laughs> um, yeah, is Paul Tripp coming on soon? He might need to spend some sessions yeah. with me. Um, yeah. So I, man, my, the first one that was a really challenge for me was I, I came out of college really just like, I mean, I came screaming into faith where I, you know, it was for me, 
like breathing for the first time when I heard the gospel of Jesus. And so just embraced um, following Jesus in college. And, um, you know, Texas A&M is, is most people don't know this while a public university, it actually ends up being like pre-seminary for half the world's pastors. And so it's just a really nurturing environment for those people who are walking in faith. And so I kind of walked in a really, really um, conducive place for growing in faith from A&M and then going straight into a really tough business segment where it's a lot of hours, really intense, generally not a Christian, Christian formed worldview of the people you're working with. And my first project kind of is a little bit of a timid believer um, and just wondering what this big, bad world was going to look like um, was a project where um, a, a, a manager of mine, somebody who was kind of in charge of me, you know, we, we jumped on a plane headed to North Carolina. He dropped me off at a uh, like a fortune 500 company that, you know, we were at a, a mill where they made towels and whatnot. And he hands me a file box. Cause this is, it dates me a little bit, but um, <laughs> this is kind of like before you would hand someone a Evernote file, but it hands me a file box with 285 employee profiles and said, I'll be back in a week, fire half of them. Oh, and I remember thinking, this is so messed up. <laughs> I, like I'm 22. I, I'm, I'm just Jeez. learned how to separate whites from colors in the laundry. <laughs> and, and I'm supposed to decide some destinies of some humanities. And it just re, it really rattled me. And so I asked him, well, well, how do I know which one's the fire? And his answer was, I don't care. Wow. Um, and I just remember at that moment, kind of feeling the great stewardship of leadership, even as, as a really young man, just thinking, well, he may not care, but I have to, as a believer, that's good. So I'm going to try to find some way to imbue dignity to these people and to try to bring justice and fairness into this situation the best way I could. And it was, I mean, I sat in an office for, you know, eight hours a day for about three weeks firing people. And, Jeez. um, it was hard because as a believer, I felt I owed to listen to their story, to hear their story, to, um, kind of absorb some of the rightful wrath that they might be feeling. And, um, it really allowed me really early on to see that leadership wasn't this like sparkling clean thing that you wanted. Power wasn't this um, nice privilege that you got to possess, but that it was a responsibility and a stewardship. And so it really formed me really early on in life. Um, as early as 24, I remember thinking hey, uh, power is dangerous and it's something to be handled with a lot of care. That's so helpful. No, yeah. So yeah, that, that was fun. Um, that was, you know, thanks for, that was a good relive right there. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still um, stuck on the whites and colors, man. <laughs> it got me, that got me good. That's, yeah, that, I try to tell that story at people's birthdays. They, they um, really enjoy that. Um, <laughs> no, um, from there actually, um, I, you know, I started feeling like a little bit more of a call to dive deeper into my theological education. So, um, decided to head to seminary and really not to become a pastor, but just because of, a passion to lead well as a Christian. And I felt like I was theologically under equipped and wasn't really sure how to go about getting that equipping. And so I just, you know, being a marketplace guy, found somebody I could pay to do it. And, uh, so landed at a seminary where I started taking classes and about that time got approached by a nonprofit. And then I kind of, um, jumped into the kind of Christian nonprofit scene and served as an executive director of a kind of diverse, uh, uh, nonprofit that was raising up Christian leaders on, college campuses across, across the nation. And that was a lot of fun. Learned a ton from that space as well, how to work with the board of directors and, um, how to work in a, in an environment that was spread out and, and, um, really kind of divergent. Like there was just lots of different spaces, lots of different contexts. And 
did that for three years more, three or four years from there. And then, um, yeah, the Lord was calling me back to Austin. My, my, my mom had passed away and my dad, uh, uh, my dad's, my dad's an addict. And so I needed to get back into the Austin space in order to be, um, kind of take care of him and bumped into this church plant where it was being led by a guy who came from A&M. So I thought he can't be that bad a guy. Yep. Um, we started attending a little bit. I was Matt Carter. I was at the Austin stone. So we were there from the very beginning, just as attenders. And over in about nine months, we kind of decided together it might be a good space for me to jump in for a few years. And that was 16 years ago. So, so a few years um, still into 16, waiting it out. <laughs> yeah. Bait and switch, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just wanted to help a church plant out in the city that I'm from and 16 years in, I, I don't know what I'll do when I'm growing up, but I'm still having a ton of fun uh, <laughs> leading God's Man. So, well, I, and we talked a little about it, a little bit about it, excuse me, before we started the podcast, but I can just say the Austin Stone has had a lot of influence on my wife, life and my wife, uh, both of us, um, but just well, through, yeah, just through relationships and uh, the yeah. people that lead there. And I've been, I've sat under people that have preached at Student Life Camp, mm-hmm. led worship at Student Life Camp as a college student, working with them and now being able to work directly with them and, and get them to partner with us. Man, thanks for all you guys do over there. It's been oh, a man. great ministry to me personally. Um, You're so you know, Humble you class. said something, Kevin, that stuck out. I want to come back to the marketplace here in a second and get a little bit more from that story. But you said in the beginning, and I might butcher it a little bit, uh, as leaders, you know, don't expect, I don't come in expecting perfection, but be humble, have, have humility. And I relate to that so well, because a lot of times, and when I was trying to become a leader and and getting that calling in my life and understanding it, man, I've got to have this all figured out. I'm ready to step into this. I've got to have every I dotted, every T cross, mm-hmm. or you have the opposite and where you're just not prepared at all and you think you can wing it. <laughs> um, but leadership is not perfection. It's more humility. Can you break that down for us just a little bit more and what you meant by that? Yeah, sure, man. I, you know, it's really interesting because the, 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 the economics of the kingdom are just so different than the economics of the world in so many ways, but it's not, uh, um, it, it, it shouldn't be unexpected that it's very, very different in the leadership space. And so if you look from the world's perspective, you know, you think that leadership means something like, um, you must be the best. You have to have the plan together. You've, um, you've got to be the person who can perform, um, without error, without flaw, these kinds of things. And so there's just this sense of which you've got to lead from strength. Um, you've got to lead from a, a position of as if power, were going to be taken from you. Um, as if power were some kind of limited resource that you needed to protect and, hedge against kind of it being stolen or um, taken from you in some way. And in the kingdom, it's really different. Like when you step into a space, you're stepping into a stewardship that's been given to you. And so there's nothing to, in some ways you have, when, when God gives you leadership, you have nothing to prove and nothing to lose because you gained nothing by your own merit. Um, and so you're able to step in just as kind of the beatitude speaks of, you're able to walk in this space where you say, I'm meek. I have power, but I don't use it for my own good. I, I use it for your good because uh, my power didn't get me here. My power is entrusted to me by the Lord. And so it's not to be wielded improperly. And so that just creates this posture of meekness. You look at, you know, you look at um, other words that you see in the scripture when it speaks of Christians, you, you see these people who are uh, servant hearted. You see these people who are uh the, that actually point to their own weaknesses because there and there you can point to the strength of Christ. And it's just very different in the world where they're going to point to their own strength, point to their own merit, um, point to their, why you can depend on them. And 
Christian leadership is just liberating because when people say, can you depend on me? My answer is, well, of course not, but you can depend on the Lord who put me here. Mm, Yeah. So whether I fail or I succeed, just know that you can be faithful to the calling of God by working with me, collaborating with me as God kind of sets us on mission together. Um, Me playing one role of leader, you playing another role um, who might be in this instance follower. And um, it just, it just creates a different posture and, and it liberates you from this whole uh, walking around trying to feel like some kind of fake where you're trying to pretend like you got it all together and there's just no way you do. And the people who actually have it together are usually the most humble people who will still tell you that they see themselves as not. Mm. Um, and um, if you look at Paul, who's done so much with his life by the end of his life, you see his humility growing deeper over his life. He starts with least of the uh, apostles and ends up with the chief of sinners by the end of his life. I mean, you just see the downward trajectory of his own um, self-confidence as it were. No, that's good. And, um, I, I think uh, it was brilliant just to see the Lord do that in us. No, man. I, I think it was Chandler that uh, he was talking about um, the true vine and what that meant, you know, theologically, and I won't mm. jump into it, but his big line at the end of his sermon one, one time was Matt Chandler, not Chandler Vinoy. I was about just to say, to clarify, what are you about to quote me on? Yeah, my bad. Uh, but he said, <laughs> Christ is doing what we could not do for ourselves. That's why he is the true vine. And so even yeah. for leadership, Christ has already done everything that we think we need to do to mm. gain trust or to gain influence. And yes, there's good practices and habits to have, but man, I don't have to, I don't have to like fight for this power. Christ already has this power. I can, I can give that over to the Lord. I just have to yeah. lead well and serve well and, and be humble. So yeah. man, I'll, ta- I'll take good. that. I'll take that quote for yeah, myself. It's Chandler. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. To- totally. <laughs> Chandler Vinoy. Um, well, you hey, would not be the first young man to steal something from Matt Chandler. Oh, for sure. Not. For sure. You would not be the first one. <laughs> and this is a, this is a leadership podcast. So really everything we say is stolen from John Maxwell, just at the, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. The basis of it. Well, he got it somewhere or it's, or, or it's heresy. So we're good. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> hey, you talked about you transitioning the marketplace when you didn't know how to do your laundry still. So let's jump back to that. But, uh, yeah. you know, uh, like you said, you're in the marketplace before ministry at a young age too. And you talked yeah. some about this, but what did the jump from the marketplace to ministry look like? And what were some of the two or three leadership lessons you learned maybe in a hard way or quickly, uh, that you could share with us today from that experience? Yeah. You know, for me, the the jump was primarily made because there was just a a need that I thought I could help fill. Um, You know, it wasn't, uh, I think there's a lot of folks that'll make the bounce into ministry because there's some kind of messianic complex. And I'm sure I had some of that, but the primary motivation of my heart was my city was relatively Christless. I love Jesus and the church called. And so I thought um, I can um, I can help fill a need. Um, and I think that helps with just the leadership trans- transition when you're not coming to get from the church, but you're coming to give to the church. Mm. I think one of the most difficult things, um, one of the most difficult temptations of being a pastor is all of a sudden it becomes a place where you find ego or you find encouragement or you find applause or you find something. And man, I, I can tell you right now, uh, my worst moments of parenting is when I need from my parents for my kids. Mm. My best moments are when I, I see myself as a source of giving to my kids. And same way with church is, is, is as people make a, a jump into ministry, into vocational ministry, um, coming in as if um, you need something from them, whether it's affirmation of your spiritual leadership or some kind of um, 
a way to encourage that you're unique or special or that, you know, you're somehow more loved by God, all those kinds of needs that the church just can't fill. And she ends up being used. That was a big piece. That was a big kind of part of my story was just coming in because I wanted to help. Um, and I have to return to that often. I mean, as, as you go off into your career, it's just so tempting, um, in, in the ministry world to say, okay, I may not get paid by big bills, um, big, big, big chunks of money, but I end up do taking from, um, the church something and, and, um, just repenting of that often and saying, I don't want to come and take, I want to come and get um, I will say that, uh, another big piece for me, a big learning lesson for me that I brought with me to, um, and I don't know if this answers this particular question, but I, I kind of want to make the comment. One of the biggest leadership lessons I took with me to the church was the best training I ever got to do my job was actually in the marketplace, not in the church. Hmm. Um, and, and that, that really shaped me. Um, I, you guys, if, if you've, you know, I know Chandler spent some time with me that that's going to come out of my mouth about every 16 seconds, which is. <laughs> there are really for real saved people in your church. They're for real saved, which means they got the same Holy Spirit living in them, you, them as you do in you, just even though you got a seminary degree, they really <laughs> love Jesus. They really love his word. And they probably have just as many, if not more IQ points than you. And therefore we can really give them the best stuff. And uh, so for me, jumping into the ministry, I, I, there in some ways I was representing uh, uh, this passion and desire to say there are amazing people that God's put in these churches that really do want to learn the word of God as much as any seminarian does. They really do have the capability of learning the word of God as well as any seminary in the world. Um, they just have less time. And so what, what a good space to get to jump in from the marketplace, understanding their heart. Um, there are people out there that, you know, we say it all the time that are for real saved. Um, and they really do love Jesus. They really do want to see people come to Christ and they, and they are dying for the equipping, um, that you can give them. And so not always setting the lowest bar for them, but giving a high bar for people. That was one space. Uh, my earliest lesson though, was just honestly, um, one of the biggest kind of shocks from most marketplace people who move into church place is, uh, you, you really do assume, um, that volunteers will act like, um, paid people. <laughs> uh, they don't, um, uh, you, you kind of have to, you have to be really creative to keep volunteers moving forward, even though most of their waking hours will be committed to tasks and duties outside your realm of influence, which is really different than it's one of the one spaces where a lot of our folks in the church, that the, the skills don't transfer from the marketplace to the church. Um, leading people at work is not the same as leading people uh, in the church, primarily because leading volunteers is just, it's just different. You're, you're getting, um, as it were, even the godliest people, you're still getting in some ways the leftovers of their time and attention. Um, rightfully so. If they're raising a family and they've got a job, I get that. And so the question is, um, how do you lead them? And a lot of that just requires so much more um, help to, to keep them focused that you would normally start complaining about, I've got to handhold these volunteers um, I got to send them five follow-up emails at work. I would never have to do that. <laughs> uh, and I see a lot of that just from marketplace guys. They just start with a really high level of frustration um, because they see people as at church, like not caring. And what, what they don't realize is it's no, it's just a smaller piece of the portfolio of their concerns um, from a pure numerics part of the day. Um, and so you just have to 
you really got to lead them with a lot more intentionality than you would if it were just like the market space. Yeah. I've also seen uh, on my end, I was serving as a student pastor before being at Lifeway. And now at Lifeway, I am serving as a volunteer in my church. Mm -hmm. And I see it from a completely different perspective. I've been on both ends where as a student pastor, I was like, man, why couldn't they make it to this event? Right now I totally see there, there are priorities that need to be arranged, not saying I shouldn't be serving my church in a healthy way. But like you said, I do think there is a perspective shift and you have to be careful not to, to expect, (laughs) I mean, you're not paying them. And the reality is, is it's also, I would say, and I think you mentioned this, it's harder to lead volunteers because you have to lead them through vision and mission, not a paycheck. That's that's why they do what they do. And I think it's really important just to realize that it's not some kind of like, if they show up, they love Jesus. And if they don't, they don't. Mm. Um, And I think that was a huge learning lesson for me. It doesn't mean that there's not spiritual issues. If someone never shows up and isn't faithful to church, I mean, of course it could be. It absolutely could be that they have uh, out of whack priorities, but it, that's not the only thing it could be. Um, and so you just see so many, I mean, that's why you see so many pastors kind of go to the, the guilt trough um, as it were of their tool belt uh, to, to get people to show up to stuff. And what I'm realizing uh, and what I realized really early on is no, 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 you guys provide me extra hours, not just for me to get work done, but for me to help you get work done and you're crazy in chaotic life as you are trying to be faithful to Jesus, not because you're not being faithful to Jesus. Yeah. That was just a big shift for me. And I think this leads perfectly into uh, the next question. And it comes from design to lead, which is, like I said, it, I, I was a seminary required reading for me and I, I love it. Our team at Lifeway Leadership, um, we recommend it all the time, but you talk about, and I'll just quote this, you, you and, um, Eric Geiger talk about without conviction, leadership development will not occur. Developing leaders must be a burning passion, a non-negotiable part of the vision of a local church and her leaders, or it will never become a reality. I don't know if that was you or if that was Eric who wrote that, or if you just want to take credit for it. Um, Man, if it's, if it's good, it was Eric for sure. <laughs> Love it. All the, all the boring stuff was me. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah. Um, but I, but I want, what I want to ask on that is, when were you convicted of this in your ministry and how did you start to develop leaders yeah. as a young leader? And it kind of goes into that whole volunteer and pouring into them conversation. Yeah. So convicted of this before I actually got into the church, um, primarily because I mean, I was a, uh, you know, fairly aggressive guy. I mean, that's just my, you know, I'm, I'm a take the bull by the horns kind of guy. And so early on, even before I was in ministry, I, I approached, pastors and church leaders all the time saying, will you help me grow as a leader? Um, I, you know, I tell them all the time, I'm 24, I'm already leaving, leading $70 million budget and this many employees. And I don't know how to lead, but I know how, I know how they train me to lead, but I don't know how to lead as a Christian. So can you help me? And what I never ran into was someone who said, no, mm. this has never happened. Of course they said, yes, they were always desirous of it. And, and so it's okay. Here's, here's how we can start, start, uh, serving in this ministry and, um, be a part of this small group. And, and, and honestly, they were really kind. They cared for my soul, but we never actually got around to developing me as a leader. And so it just occurred to me really early on. The problem wasn't that these people didn't desire it. They sure did. And it wasn't that they were ungodly. Um, I, I just, at the end of the day, became convinced that it wasn't a conviction of something that they had to do. Um, cause I've found that in life, people will do the things that they feel that they have to do to either pass or fail. 
if that makes sense. And so, you know, I, all the time you look at people who say, man, I didn't have time to, you know, call my small group and just check on them. And, but you know, if you got their screen time app off their phone, they had time to check Twitter. <laughs> uh, or that screen time app that, is convicting. Yeah. Or, or I ask him, did you eat today? Which is a fair question because I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat. What I am saying is you just saw eating as more, more critical than calling mm-hmm. your small group, which may actually be true. I could stand to skip a few meals, but, but it may actually be true, but it does point out to, if you think it's necessary, if it's critical, you do find time for it. Even on your busiest days, most people eat. Even on your most busy days, uh, most people do, they check their email. So people do those, the things that they find that they're convicted are most necessary for success. Mm. Um, I I love Martin Luther said this way back in the day. And and while I don't do everything that Martin Luther does, He's really convicted when he said, one point he says, I have so much to do today, I must attend to three hours in prayer. And so just the economy of this guy, the way the guy saw it was, he was so convinced that prayer actually ordered his life that the busier he got, he thought, there's no way I can skip praying. That has to go last. And I just see the same thing happen in the church. You see people saying, I'm so busy, I don't have time to make leaders. But I think the Bible says... That if we don't actually make leaders, then we've actually, we can't win even if we do the other things. Um, Because I actually see it as a command. Part of the garden is that the image bearers of God multiply across the face of the earth, spreading out the evening mandate of provision and protection significance from where we are to across the globe. And and that's going to require the multiplication of leaders. And yet what we'll end up not doing is that while we do a number of things that while good, might actually fall off the scorecard as critical. Um, so it comes down to conviction, right? Because it's not that people don't want to. There's very few churches out there in the world that would say, no, it would be good if we did it. And yet almost every church is doing Sunday every week because they see if we don't do Sunday, we've failed. And I would just, just find there's a list. Everyone has a list of what must happen or the church fails. And if this isn't on it, it doesn't happen. It's just too costly and it's just too hard. Kevin, you said something that was really struck a chord with me. So I, I need to be careful here. I, I served in a local church years ago. And looking back now, I realized, man, I really did not enjoy my time. There. I had a really hard time there. The Lord taught me a lot of things through some of that pain and just experience or whatever. But one of the things I lacked the most was leadership development, somebody investing into me. And so young leaders, if you're leading people in your church, you know, uh, designed to lead get a pipeline, start developing younger people. But I want to speak to Kevin and maybe help me answer this. If I'm a young leader, specifically in the local church, and I, it's very clear, like, I'm trying to develop myself and I'm reading and I'm learning, but what do I do if I don't have people investing into me and I can't get that attention in my church? Like, how, how do I talk to my leader about that? How do I get out from under that? Right. You know, I will say, um, the you know, one of the things that uh, I would say it's just the most important part of making leadership is just intentionality. Um, it really is. It, it ultimately comes down for most people, a scheduling issue. I know it's completely like, it just sounds unspiritual, but I'll just tell you guys, just, you know, I, I can tell you right now, I have, you know, daughter in high school, middle school, and one just finished up grade school. And looking back on our relationship, if you say, Kevin, what is the most significant thing that you've done in order to make sure that you guys are still tight? My answer is, 
um, making sure we spent time together. Like that's it. I mean, uh, because none of the other things could have happened if that didn't happen. Um, so if you're not getting in your church, one of the best things that you can do is actually just try to lead up a little bit in that space and saying, I would like to grow as a leader. Um, I'll take on the burden of scheduling, asking, setting up, prepping, um, if you'll just show up to the leader. Mm. And, and what that ends up doing uh, over time is the people will kind of catch uh, the importance of it. And then once the relational space has been carved out, you'll find yourself on the necessary list because you've kind of, in some ways, administrated your way into a significant relationship. So most of these people that you would be looking up to that you would actually want them to develop you to, um, they are spending time with critical people in their life. It's just hard to add a new one. And so there is a way to administrate yourself onto someone's calendar if, if they want to let you on there. So the first is just to have that conversation of, man, do you really want to do this? Cause I get that it would be basically, Hey, come pursue me, which very few godly men have margin to just say, sure. Great. Yeah. I've got tons of time to yeah. think about pursuing. Yeah. But if you can say, Hey, here's, here's, um, you know, here's, here's six dates open over the next three months. Um, and can you just put an X by the ones where you can meet? I'll get with your assistant or I'll get with whoever I need to get to with you to do that. Hey, is there any way I can help set up babysitting? Hey, is, um, I've, I've, I'm reading through this book. I'm going to send you a book summary on it. Maybe you can just reflect what you've thought about that. Or, Hey, I've been watching your life. I've got these three questions like you guys did for the podcast. Here's some questions we mm. might ask. I might ask you, you know, if you have time to think about it before you come. And then all of a sudden the barrier for those people of entry to just to, to mentoring you gets lowered. Mm. Um, so I'd say that. That's really practical, helpful yeah, advice. That is good. Thanks. Yeah. That is good. Uh, Kevin, what was your biggest mistake? Like if you can go back to one moment that you can remember as a leader getting started and how has that failure or apparent failure or whatever set you up for success now looking back uh, on what happened? Well, I'll, I'll say it's probably two things. The, the first was, um, you know, honestly, just the, re, the reactive nature of a young leader, um, the need to kind of um, identify open dialogue and resolve conflict within one conversation um, is just kind of the mark of a young man that usually really messes up the leadership process. Um, whether it's with your spouse when you, you know, you men have probably never done this, but you get with a spouse and you say, what's wrong? And they say nothing. If you ask what's wrong three more times, the answer will always be you. You're the problem. You know, like you just kind of, you, you don't allow the just, you don't allow them to think and to process what they're feeling. You kind of, you try to microwave um, conflict and, and doing so often um, kind of activate the isotope and make it, make it turn into an atomic bomb. So uh, one of the things that I just early on would just was so guilty of is every time I sensed that there was conflict or maybe we weren't on the same page. I pushed for so much clarity and resolution that I was trying to do essentially conflict and conflict resolution, all the steps in one conversation, mm. um, which just made me come off as abrasive. Um, it just, just, you know, I ended up like people felt like I bulldozed them and bullied them. I'm fairly quick at thinking, um, but that doesn't mean I'm good at thinking. And so people who are more, um, that need time and space and solitude to process what they're feeling. I would basically tell them what was wrong, tell them how they were feeling, <laughs> apologize for what I did to them that, that I just assumed I was making them mad. And then we'd move on and be reconciled and they would go back. That was, 
All in one conversation. Okay, right? We're yeah. I, that's not even what I was mad at him about. You know, like, <laughs> and, like, he told me I was mad at him about, but that's not it. He told me I was ashamed, but I'm not. I'm angry. And, uh, and so I'm just, you know, I think that now I'm just kind of learning that the, the, the process of human change and the process of God growing people and relationships take space and breather. And, and I just, bottom line, don't like it. But the way to serve people is to give them space to grow and to give them space to process whether they're, um, whether it's conflict or it's just people that I'm following to be able to say, Hey, this is a direction I'm taking. Um, I've written a bunch of it down. I want you to take it and think about it. I want you to write down your thoughts and then I want to talk about it hmm. instead of cast the vision. And then, Hey, why, you look upset. Why are you not with me? Why are you not for me? Why are you against me? And they're <laughs> yeah. like, Bro, I just have indigestion. I had a taco. <laughs> I don't even know what we were talking about. And you're just like, you're, you're about to like tell me I'm the worst satanic <laughs> person so ever. Great. So it just, just some space there on, on people. Yeah. Second thing is I didn't write things down. I, I'm a highly intuitive leader. Um, mm. I'm not saying that my intuition's good. You, you guys can judge that for yourself, but I, I, but I rely on my intuition a lot um, because throughout life, you know, this is pretty classic of people who grew up in, in tough homes. If they survived their intuition their instinct has served them well. That's just classic survivor. If you've survived stuff, your instinct helped you get there. And so you learn to trust your intuition. And that's been me. The problem with that is it's not replicable. And so by not writing down, um, you know, philosophy of ministry or not writing down how we arrived at decisions or not writing down the way I think about hiring, it just becomes non-replicable. It's like, Hey, if you happen to get born as a clone, you're going to be great. But anybody else, <laughs> you're just not going to know how to get here or how to get, or how to get any better. So that's really that, that I, when I look back, there's so much stuff that I've been actually like in a really loving way, accused by some of the guys that I've led for a long time. They're just like, it took me five years to write down what you already knew. I wish you would have just written it down. And, hmm. um, and while I didn't know a lot of things, there were things that we could have skipped some, what I call stupid tax. If I'd have just written it down. Yeah. Um, and I don't like to write. I'm an extrovert. I, <laughs> I find writing as, I mean, by the end of a writing process, I kind of want to end it all. So <laughs> it, it, it is a tough, it is a tough exercise for me. And so I'm just learning though, it would have been good leadership if I had done so. Yeah. And it allows you to scale. Um, a, a book that's helpful on that for anybody yeah. listening is, is checklist manifesto. And it just allows you to be able to hand off yeah. a process and to say, this is not in my brain anymore, but this is replicable and scalable for others. Well, Kevin, I know you wrote a book, but what book do you wish someone would have given you when you were just starting to lead? And you can't say design to lead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're good. Cause I wouldn't, uh, uh, I want to um, be your friend in real life so bad. We'd have too yeah, much fun together. It's, it's not a thing for me. Uh, <laughs> unless I've got a, you know, like I said, unless I've got an unlevel table, um, <laughs> So the book that I, man, the book that's been most provocative to me and most helpful to me in shaping my thinking on leadership really specifically, um, may surprise you a little bit. It's playing God by Andy Crouch. Hmm. Uh, um, I, I think we do too little thinking about kind of power dynamics and authority and how, how those actually have interplay into, into the Christian faith, into Christian leadership and into the way we just, um, allow people to experience us as leaders. And, um, it's greatly informative. I think there, there is a reality that every time you're stewarding power in some ways, you have the opportunity to reflect God or play God. Um, and that's shaped, um, me tremendously. I wish I'd read that much, much earlier because I, I spent a lot of time playing God. Um, and in that, um, did harm to self, harm to others in ways that, um, 
didn't honor God. And I, so I, I would have, I think I, I, I don't know whether I would have been humble enough to receive the word earlier in life, but I wish that I would. Yeah. So that, is that, is that the tension he creates is you're, you're either reflecting God or playing God. You know, I may be imputing uh, words into his, his thoughts and I don't want to do that because he's much smarter than I am, <laughs> but he, he is taking the idea of the fact that power isn't this evil thing, but it's been stewarded to mankind. Mm. And that when we uh, essentially misuse it um, to shape the world in our own image, that we're playing God um, and therefore not only uh, making idols of, of certain things in our lives, but actually uh, uh, inclining others to pursue idols that we set up in front of them. So it's, it's a really convicting book. Yeah. Um, sure. He's done some other work in that space. Um, but that one was for me, uh, the one I wish that someone would hand me when I was um, younger. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. Well, here on, we're going to move uh, to the quick hitter questions. So these are short okay. one minute answers. If you want to take a little bit shorter than that, you can as well, but we'll, we'll start out with this question. What is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, go to bed, all that good stuff? Yeah. Um, so ideal in that I think this is best for me, not ideal in that in my dream world, <laughs> um, but ideal, uh, man, on, on average, like an average ideal day, if something doesn't go blow up or, or mess up, I'm usually up around six. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I would prefer to wake up later, just to be honest. I, I actually felt <laughs> somewhat captivated by... Um, I just remember hearing Jonathan Edwards got up at like two 30 in the morning. Yeah, and my thought, goodness. Man, it's all feel bad about it. ourselves. Yeah. But all that did was add a law into me that made me do it twice and then sin all day long because I was tired. <laughs> um, so that's not for me, man. Um, but six o'clock is my space. Um, my wife's an idol. And so that that's that, um, for me, just managing all the different little, um, spaces of stewardship I have. 6am is good for me. I'm able to get up. I'm able to actually, um, spend a, a good amount of time with my, my girls early in the morning, um, as they are aging into teenage mm -hmm. years. Um, the space that they don't have planned is morning because they hate them. <laughs> um, and so, um, but they're, they're going to have a lot of plans and ideas about what they want to do with their evenings after school. And so, um, the morning is my chance to kind of get with them. And so we get up a little bit early so that I can, take them to breakfast a few times a week at Starbucks or something like that. And I get to speak with them. I, again, I have uh, three girls. So many words, um, takes <laughs> not just quality time, but quantity time. So 6am I'm able to do that. Um, that's my space. I'm, I'm usually at the office by, um, usually about seven fifteen or so. Um, and that gives me opportunity to then get in the word at that point. I know most people would like to get that done before then. Um, but, um, that that's a good space for me. So I get in the word, uh, often in response of hearing what my daughters need prayer for, what my wife needs prayer for, those kind of things inform my quiet time quite a bit right now. Uh, so spend time with the Lord there at the very beginning of my day. And then I spend about uh, 20 minutes at the start of every day um, organizing my day um, for about 10 minutes and organizing my week um, for another 10 minutes. Um, so that's just a daily routine, just making sure that I'm working on the right things um, and reprioritizing each day. So that's the office. Um, I have, um, two times a day where I'm doing email. Um, so I do it, um, first thing after I finish that, um, calendaring time, I'll knock out some emails and then I do it again right before I leave the office, but that's it. Hmm. Uh, don't check email during the day. Do you turn um, notifications really off on your phone as well? Um, I don't anymore because I've trained my team. Um, so, um, uh, so I can tell you a little bit about those if you want to later, just on <laughs> what makes a good e email and what makes a really lazy email. 
Um, and so at this point, I'm not afraid of an email because they know that if you send me a time sensitive email, yep. you're going to get it at the end of the day. Yep. Um, otherwise you're going to text me, which means you're going to have to answer for why you thought it was so time sensitive and <laughs> yeah. whose fault it is. <laughs> That's good. So if it's, I mean, dude, if, it, if it's like, Hey man, someone died today. Like I want to know, and I want to know now and praise the Lord. If it's God's providence that you're interrupting, then fine. <laughs> um, if it's, if you didn't do your job, it's still going to be fine, but we're going to say, we're, we're going to have, they're going to get that opportunity to say, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm disturbing. Hmm. Um, here's why I'm disturbing as I messed up in this space. I just found it. Um, all of us need that, that, that kind of space. And I do the same thing. I, I don't want to interrupt people either. Yeah. Time is like one of the most valuable things we have. So it makes a lot of sense. It is. And, and really early on, I was a, b- a bit of a jerk about how I did that. Just, Hey, listen, <laughs> just want to let you know when you mess up my day, you're taking away from time for my kids. So you can send them an apology letter. You know, I, I, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> That's not fair. Um, but it's how I felt. Um, I really did. Uh, so, um, yeah, at this point I'm like, Hey, there's God's providence. And if you need to interrupt me, do so. Um, but most stuff is not like within the day critical. Hmm. It's just not, it can until tomorrow morning or, or this afternoon when I get to emails. Um, but otherwise I do live at an inbox zero on those two things. And so it helps people know it's not going to get stacked up. It's going to be in the morning or it's going to be in that, that before I leave the office. So I do that. Um, then I head home and, um, on most days, um, get some exercise. I am, uh, not proud of what I do, but it is what I do. I do spin classes. Ooh, there you go. So yeah. So don't make fun because there are <laughs> listeners who like me um, yes, for I- this. Um, but I have the shorts, the whole bit I'm fully in. Um, That's awesome. I'm, it's not, something. I'm not quite Dwight Schrute, you know, I'm not trying to lead coups <laughs> in the classes, but, uh, um, I do, uh, I do kind of a home spin, yeah. spin bike thing, which is a lot of fun. I got actually Josh Patterson at the village got me hooked on it. Oh, um, that's good I made to know. fun of him for about four months and then joined him in month five and now make fun of both of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. That's great. Let's jump to the next quick hitter. I wasn't quick hit, but it's a day, man. It's, it's a whole it's day. day. Yeah. It's totally fine. Uh, that's, that's awesome. We now know you do spin classes. That's the biggest thing I took from the day. So that's, <laughs> that's in the it. proper shorts in the proper shorts. Not like Dwight Schrute though. We're good. Hey, what is your uh, favorite personality test? Right now? Um, right now I like the Enneagram. Um, a little bit's because I'm a bit of an eight. And so when everyone else hated it, it made me want to like it more when people started <laughs> like telling it was heretical. Made me like it more. So kind of reveals a bit of my personality type. But I like that one right now. I'm actually, I'm favorable to a lot of them. I think that over time, getting versatile on several tools is really helpful for yeah. Yeah. not only self-awareness, but helping uh, love your team well. So identify with type eight though. Are you like type eight wing seven? Uh, I am, or I'm a type three pretending to be a type eight. Jury's out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally, I totally hear <laughs> that. That's good. I'm an eight wing seven. Type three is and so I could, I, I'm, I'm either that or a poser three trying to pretend to be an eight. <laughs> I'm sitting here talking to Chandler, so I'm like, man, I want to be this guy's best friend because like, I think this guy is me in some ways. I'm eight wing seven. I'm just loving myself talking to you. That's so it's good. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. It's who, who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Hey, Kevin, you have a lot on your plate. You just took us through your, your daily schedule. When do you find time to read and all of that? Yeah. So it'll come, it'll come in the evening time. I mean, obviously if I'm studying for something, um, I'll block it out during my work day, which I know that not every human has that opportunity, but as a pastor, you can, <laughs> um, my, uh, I'll block that off. Um, my day off is, um, is, so, you know, so most of the time I'm taking Friday off in my schedule mm-hmm. and, um, you know, again, my kids are all in school and my, my wife is a, a busy lady. And so, 
um, um, I often have quite a bit of time to read on, on Fridays. So usually it's at evening, um, in the bed, I'll, I'll usually read, um, 30 to 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and then, and then all my days off, um, you know, I, I'm reading a lot. And then honestly, I do a lot of audio audio books, um, in the car. I, I'm not a big music guy. So yeah. Yep. That's great. Super boring, but well, last question, yeah. what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? Yeah. Um, be a hard worker, be intentional with people and, and be humble with correction. Mm-hmm. Um, those are kind of those things that, um, I mean, I know it sounds awful, but, you know, it sounds awful close to Brad Lominick's book, <laughs> but it's, it, man, it really is good advice for the first time because most people get two out of the three of those, right. But it's the three that makes the magic. Yeah. And it's, and they feel like very cliche terms for leadership, yeah. but they're incredibly, incredibly hard to be disciplined in as a leader. I'll, I'll tell you, friend, I've been doing this for a long time and it's, it's actually super rare to see somebody do that mm. in their first leadership mm. position. That's good. Well, thanks for that. Great advice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing a little bit behind the scenes of your leadership journey and, and allowing us to see into that and your time as a young leader. So thanks again for joining us. You bet. And if you're listening, thank you for listening today. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. And if it has been, go over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. And if it's been helpful, go ahead and share it with another leader. Yeah, just just share it. Yeah, just right now. Right now. Pull your phone out right now. Do it. Yep, do it. Thanks, guys. See ya.